you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to open them to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. And if you have a Bible app, um, there's a Bible app event for this, and you can follow along there. So we'll be there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in a short time. I want to begin uh, just by uh, asking you if when you look around at the world, do you ever, uh, do you ever come up with this sentence? What is wrong with people? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you're like, what is wrong with people? You know, and, and in my family, that line goes like, I don't understand the humans. The humans are just so weird. I think I told you the story one time. I got a text from my daughter, Esther. She was down in the Washington, D.C. area. She said, it's 8.30 in the evening. It's pouring down rain. There's a woman in her nightgown outside in her front yard watering her yard. What is wrong with people? I don't understand the humans. Sometimes it's funny. But sometimes, sometimes you ask, what is wrong with people from a desperate heart? I mean, you, you, you see it, Harvey Weinstein, what is wrong with people? 70, arrested in a local drug bus. What is wrong with people? Racism, what is wrong with people? A body of a local man identifiable only by his dental records. What is wrong with people? Pennsylvania Attorney General reports on abuse cover-up. What is wrong with people? 1,460 counts of cruelty to animals. What is wrong with people? Do you ask that question? The answer to that question is what we're discussing this morning. And what we're going to do today is something that does not come natural to us. Because when we ask the question, What is wrong with people? We're almost always pointing at them. And I'm going to ask you, as we talk about this today, to be willing to look to yourself, to be willing to even look in the mirror. Now, this is a series that talks to us about where to look, and we're kind of using the Alliance Statement of Faith, the Alliance Stand, and we're talking about, we're talking about man today. I want to read to you the fourth um, element of the um, Alliance Statement of Faith. I kind of want to comment on it in the next minute and a half here. It goes like this. It says, man was originally created in the image and likeness of God. Okay, let's pause there for a second. That is why you are universally appalled by these things. You got to know, fish in the river are not appalled by the headlines I just read. They're not created in the image and likeness of God, but you are. And because you're created in the image and likeness of God, You know sin when you see it. You recognize it when you see it. Despite our own spiritual fogginess, we're bothered when we see it because we're created in the image and likeness of God. Let's read on. It says, He fell, that is, mankind fell through disobedience, incurring thereby both physical and spiritual death. Okay, so when humankind sinned, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the garden, We brought about death, physical death. And by the way, that's one of the reasons funeral services just never seem right. Because you're sitting there and you're looking at that person who's who's laid out there and you're like, "Ah, that just shouldn't happen. And what's ironic about it is that person could be 90 years old and I'm still thinking like, I hate that this happened. Why? Because that was never meant to be. God's intention was eternal life. But through sin, death entered the world. And so there we have physical death. More than that, we have spiritual death. And spiritual death is separation from God. It's being detached from God. And when we're detached from him, we don't have the guidance that we would naturally have. We 
We don't have his spirit there. If we don't know Christ, his spirit is not working in us to help us see right from wrong. His moral character to help us make right choices. That's what's wrong with people. That's what's wrong with people. Read on. All men are born with a sinful nature and are separated from the life of God. Aha. So we inherited this propensity that Adam and Eve introduced, a tendency toward evil. And that sinful nature separates us from God. And so when you want to ask what is wrong from people, the answer is that we have this bent toward God, this spiritual predisposition toward darkness that is just part of our nature. It says we have this, and it says we can only be saved through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) So there's hope. I like that word saved. And it comes through Jesus Christ. Then it wraps up with these words. It says the portion or the outcome for the unrepentant and unbelieving is existence forever in conscious torment and that of the believer is everlasting joy and bliss. Talking about heaven and hell. I want to take just a minute and and talk about hell. Let me comment on hell for a moment. You've met them. Maybe you've said this before. Maybe you feel this way. I, I met people like this who would say, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe a loving God could send people to hell. I'm not buying that. And, and they say that until they read the headlines about the kinds of issues I just shared. And then when they read those headlines, well, I did something this week that I almost, I did something this month several times that I, that I always try not to do. I read the comments under the news articles. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Have you done that? And then I read the comments in social media under the news Articles And those kinds of headlines, they make people's heads explode. And you can see it on there, they just explode. And when they hear that, 1,460 counts of animal cruelty, they scream for justice. Not just justice in this life, but even in the afterlife. They, they say things like, hell is too good for that person. You see, all of us want justice to be served. None of us want sin to just go unpunished. Here's what I'm really thankful for. I'm thankful it's God's job to do that judging. Leave that with him. I don't have to make that call. Generally, when we ask what's wrong with people, we're not looking at ourselves. And that isn't real productive because I can't fix other people. I I can't change them. Only God can do that. And then only with their cooperation, it would seem. But I can look at myself. And maybe I can see God changing me if I'll take a look in the mirror. And that's what I want to ask you to do today, is to look in the mirror. We are in this series where we've been talking about where to look. And we've talked about look to God. He's a good, good father. You can look to him and he will speak to you. He will help you. We talked about look to Jesus. He's your savior and friend. And we talked about look to the Holy Spirit. He's a counselor and guide. And we talked about look to the word of God. It is a lamp to your feet a light into your path. If you missed those, most of those are online and you can find them at kerwinsvillealliance.org if you'd like to catch up on those. The reason we look at those things or look to those things is so that we can grow as humans more precisely so we can grow as followers of Jesus. I attend small groups. I listen to Christian podcasts. I read the Bible. I read Christian literature. I go to the Men's Link retreat at Mahaffey Camp so that I can learn to stop doing things that I shouldn't be doing and so that I can begin to do things that I know I should be doing and so that I can literally be changed into being more like Jesus, being the person God wants me to be. I do those kinds of things so I can change. You do those kinds of things 
so you can be transformed. Today, as we do something we do every first Sunday of the month at Kerbinsville Alliance, celebrate communion, I'm going to ask you to look at yourself, to look into the mirror, because if you're going to change, you're going to have to know who you are and who you can become. And we're going to read a passage of scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read about 11 verses here. We're going to start at verse 23. I hope you'll follow along with me as I read this. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a group of believers just like you and me. The Holy Spirit is leading him as he writes these words. And he's talking to them about how their behavior should be at communion. But the implications are this is how you probably should be living. So listen as I begin reading at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning regarding ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So he says it twice in there. He says it in verse 28. He says everyone ought to examine themselves. He says it in verse 31. He says if we're more discerning, that would be a good thing. Examine yourself. Be discerning. Take a look into the mirror. When you look into the mirror, what do you think you might see? And there's a number of things you'll see if you look in the mirror. One of the things you'll probably see is a conflicted soul. Do you understand what I mean by that? A conflicted soul? (laughs) Someone that feels one way and feels the other way all at the same time. I feel conflicted about this. I want to suggest that seeing a conflicted soul in a mirror is not a bad thing. It depends on why it's conflicted, and it depends on where you go with that information. I see a conflicted soul in Romans chapter 7. The author of Romans 7, the Apostle Paul, is talking about his own spiritual life. He says in there words like this. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what is hate, what I hate. You hear how conflicted he is. He goes on and he says, I want to do what is good, but I don't do it. I do what is, don't want to do what is wrong, but I do that anyway. Then he goes on and says, I have discovered a principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war in, with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Do you ever feel that way? conflicted. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Sure, it's kind of a sad thing. It's a troubling thing to see your own personal failings in life, your moral failings in life. It is frustrating to deal with sin that you're dealing with and dealing with and dealing with and you're struggling with repeatedly. It's even depressing somewhat, but it is a good thing that you're conflicted about it, that it troubles you. It is a good thing that it bothers you. If it doesn't bother you, that's a bad thing. That's a big problem. If you're okay with sin in your life, that's tragic. When most people look in the mirror, they see a desire to do good and a tendency to do evil. They see a conflicted soul. 
It's okay from time to time if you look in the mirror and you even see a troubled soul from time to time. Be on your guard against people who want to protect you from seeing your own personal problems. Let me say this again. Be on your guard against people who want to protect you from seeing your own personal problems. I have this problem. I was listening to a sermon the other day or I was reading this Christian book the other day and it just made me feel like something was wrong in me and I need to change. Oh, honey, you're too hard on yourself. Get away from that person. Do you understand that? I can remember when I was at the university, I was dealing with some some issues, sinful issues in my own life. And I decided I'll talk to some of my buddies here in the, in the apartment we lived in and some of the other students that were nearby. We were all just sitting around having one of those open, honest discussions together. And I said, I just feel like this is something I do that's bad and I hate that I do it and I don't know how to get over it. And it's just a real problem in my life. And this is the counsel that they gave me. Steve, you're not that bad. I think you're really overreacting. Everybody makes mistakes, Steve. You're way too hard on yourself. Just let it go. It's all good. <laughs> I know people have done far worse. That counsel didn't help me. It doesn't help me. Because I had looked into the mirror and I had seen that my guilt was real and I found it troubling. And hear this, there is value in sensing real guilt because it can drive you to repentance, to forgiveness, and to life change. But you have to look in the mirror. And when you look into the mirror, you realize the truth of verses like Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all messed up along the way. And you begin to understand when you're looking in the mirror, the reality of Isaiah 59.2, that our sins, our iniquities, can cause a separation between us and God. That our sins can kind of hide his face from us as though he will not hear us. If you're dealing with sin in your life and you look in the mirror, you will see a troubled soul, and that's not all bad. But hear this, hear this, hear this, hear this. When you look in a mirror, you will also see a beloved soul. Do you understand that? I had an older pastor say years ago, it's two decades or more ago, a group of us were sitting together, and this one pastor said of churches in this area, He said, I think a lot of our people just go to church every Sunday morning to get their weekly beating. If all you hear is a conflicted soul and a troubled soul and you miss the beloved soul, then that's all you're getting is a beating. You are not here, beloved, to get a beating. You are here to hear the word of God and through its transforming power to receive a blessing of transformation. You are a beloved soul. When you look in the mirror, you don't see someone who has their act together. You will see someone who struggles, someone who has trouble, someone who falls short. But as you look there, hold fast to this reality. The person looking back at you in that mirror is beloved of God. Beloved of God. In fact, he demonstrated his own love for you in this. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you, for us died for us while we were yet sinners. The Bible doesn't ignore your guilt. It offers a remedy for your guilt. Forgiveness of your sin. Life eternal. Because the wages of sin is death. But catch the rest of the story. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you you cannot find these things unless you're willing to look in the mirror. In fact, 
These truths about the love of God will have little impact on your life unless you're looking into the mirror because you cannot appreciate the significance of God's grace until you recognize how deeply, deeply, deeply you need it. But when you see how deeply you need it, then you begin to understand that God can bring some changes in your life that that you actually like and that you need. Every Sunday, I take a look in the mirror before I leave for church. I go in and I stand in front of the mirror and I look at my hair and say, yeah, it's just about as bad as usual. I can go for that. I, I do this with my beard. Do you know why men do this with their beard? Egg. Crumbs. I want to make sure there's none of there. You know, did I cut myself shaving? And if I did, did I remember to take the tissue off that I was blotting that with? One Sunday morning, I was like here for 20 minutes and Lloyd Bloom comes up and says, you know, you got tissue on your cheek there, Pastor Steve. Oh, thanks, Lloyd. Yeah. I was glad he told me. I'd go through the whole day and get home and find it. That would be fun, right? Yeah. Listen, I do that. I look in the mirror because through self-examination, I understand that I can discover problems that need to be corrected. Because the reality is, you can only fix what you know is broken. You can only fix what you know is broken, what you've looked at. Have you ever seen someone who has this glaring character flaw? And everybody in the room knows about it. It's a sin that screams so loudly you can't ignore it. And do you ever think to yourself... I don't know how they live with that. How do they not see that? How, how are they not aware of that? There's a chance they're not aware of it because there's a chance they never looked in the mirror. You've got to look in the mirror if you're going to see the things that God can change for you. You need to know yourself. 1,600 years ago, in his soliloquies, St. Augustine wrote this prayer. Listen to this prayer. It's beautiful. He says, God, always the same. Let me know myself. Let me know thee. It's beautiful, isn't it? He is also credited with saying this. It's a question. How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. I got to know who I am. So I know what needs to change before I'm going to understand the grace of God. Over a thousand years after that, a fellow named John Calvin who wrote The Institutes of Christian Religion. I never read that. You know why? Because it's like if you put it into one book, it's like this wide, you know? I think. I never got past the opening sentence. Here's the opening of it. Listen to it. Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And what these great men of the faith are saying is that you're going to need to look into the mirror to know who you are to know what you are like, because you cannot diagnose a problem without looking at it. You ever listen to those radio shows where you can call in and say what's wrong with your car? You know, PBS has one, other stations have them. You know, you call in, you say, yeah, my car is making this noise. It's going blah, 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 blah. And they say, oh, I know what that is. I called one of those and got in one time. It was on KDK. It was years ago. I called and I told the guy, here's the problem I'm having. And man, with the most confidence in the world, he says, oh, yeah, that's your charcoal canister. Your charcoal canister, they get clogged. You must have got some bad gas through the years. It's accumulated in there. You need to replace your charcoal canister. So I call the dealer. How much is a charcoal canister? Dealer says, that's $220. I said, well, I think maybe I can put up with a bad running car. And the dealer says, I don't know why you're changing those. They never go bad. I say, well, an expert told me it was bad. We'll bring it in. We'll look at it. It's your O2 sensor. Here, it's fixed. 
There's a difference between the person that tries to diagnose a problem without even looking at the problem and the person who actually looks at the problem, sticks her head under the hood and says, ah, here's what's going on. I can see what's going on here. It's a whole different thing. And that's what you're doing. You're sticking your head under the hood when you're looking into the mirror. If you're going to fix what's broken in your life, you're going to have to look at yourself. You're going to have to look into the mirror because you can only fix what you realize is broken. And then when you do that, by God's grace, you can find the ability to change. I mean, think back for a minute about the passage we read earlier. It said, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Why would God instruct you to do such a thing? Why would God instruct you to examine yourself if there was nothing that could be done with the findings? (laughs) That would be ridiculous, right? He wouldn't have you examine yourself just so he can make you miserable. He's not in the business of making people miserable. He wants you to examine yourself so that you can do something with the findings, so that you can begin to live the kinds of words that are mentioned in 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. I'm a different person. Why? Because I came to Christ and he has transformed me. I looked in the mirror, saw some things that needed changing, and he gave me the ability to change those things. He wants you to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God wants you to look into the mirror so you can see who you are, so you can begin by his power, his strength, and his grace to be transformed into the person he wants you to be, which is the person that your redeemed heart wants to be. He wants you to look in the mirror so you can change. And when you look in the mirror, you can see a brighter future. A future that the statement of faith calls everlasting joy and bliss. (laughs) Wow, that's a good future. Let me talk to you for a minute about heaven. I want to talk from Revelation 21. I'm just going to throw some verses on the screen here for you from there. You know, the best part of heaven in my mind is not the streets of gold. It's not the gates of pearls. You know, the best part of heaven is Jesus, God. That's the best part of heaven. And in Revelation 21, when it's speaking about this great hope that we have, this future with everlasting joy and bliss, it says these words. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Here's what amazes me by that, and it always amazes me by that. I understand why there's a new earth. We're kind of trash in this one. So I get that. A new earth would be okay with me. I don't understand why there's a new heaven, because when you created the heavens and the earth, you said, this is good, God. So what are you making a new one for? And I don't even pretend to understand why he's doing that, but I can tell you this, I like it. Because if the first one was good, just imagine what the next one will be, right? He's doing that for us. Everlasting joy and bliss. In verse 3 it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Think about that. To be with God. To be with God, that will be amazing. Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me. Glory for me. When by his grace I will look on his face, That'll be glory, glory for me. If you don't think it will be glory, then you're probably not looking in the mirror enough because there's nothing on earth that can compare with what awaits us in Christ Jesus. Those trusting in Jesus get to experience what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived. That will be great. That is future joy. 
Revelation 21 in verse 4, it says, And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. That might be my favorite part. My favorite part. I had a teacher who said, I think the reason that's there is because when we get to heaven, we're going to look around and see some people didn't make it. So we cry and God wipes that tear away. I don't think that's what's being said here at all. That's very shallow compared to what I think is being said here. This is what I believe is being said here. That all the pain that you have ever experienced in your life, any abuse that you have ever been subjected to, any heartache that you could never understand, that's what he's wiping away. All the memories of past pain and past hurts, rejection, that is what is being swept aside by his hand. All the sorrow, gone forever. God will wipe that out, and I am all about that. And think of how intimate that will be. I've said this before because I love this truth. You know, when you're going through a hard time as your pastor, there are things I might do to help you out. I might put my arm around you and put my right hand on your right shoulder and pull you in and say, I'm praying for you, buddy. And you would say, thanks, pastor. I appreciate that. I might even kind of give you the side hug thing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm praying for you. It'll be okay as you cry. Might do that. I even have suits that I've had to take to the cleaner because a woman has been crying on my shoulder at a funeral or something. I'm just holding her while she cries. And she's okay with that. I even got a kiss from a woman in my church that's not my wife. Yeah. Because she liked the sermon I preached that her daughter needed to hear and she kissed me on the cheek. And we were okay with that. But I dare say this, that if I saw you crying somewhere and I walked up to you and I took my hand and leaned in and wiped that off of your cheek, you would probably say, whoa, that's a little too intimate there, buddy. You just crossed a line of intimacy. I don't think you should have done that. I'm pretty sure that's how you'd feel at least. But God's going to do that. He's going to be that close to you. He'll give you the side hug. He'll give you the hug. You'll get your makeup stain on his robe. Whatever, you know. And he'll wipe that tear from your eye. And that pain will be gone. You see, as you trust Christ, as you look into the mirror, the future for the person looking back at you is one of everlasting joy and bliss. But that joy is not limited to your time in heaven. If you look in the mirror, you will see present joy of a changed life where you can live differently today. You examine yourself so that you can be different today. And I want to be different. Think about the mistakes you've made in your life. I dare say probably every one of us has made mistakes in relationships. I have said sentences that have ended good friendships. I hate that. I hate that. I would dare say that every one of us here who has raised children has said, ah, I really screwed up along the way, here, there, and this other place. I didn't provide the example I should have provided. I overreacted in discipline here. I was too lenient there. And you look back at those things, you say, I made mistakes. Mistakes in indulging in things. There are people here that began to indulge in some kind of behavior or some kind of substance 
And it took them down a path that they never wanted to go down. Mistakes. You're like, what, what can I do about that? When I look in the mirror, that's the guy I see. Let me tell you, when you look in the mirror, you see someone who can come out of those mistakes because of the transforming power of Christ. You can have a brighter future today. When you repent and when you look to him for the empowerment to do that. And that's the person that your redeemed self wants to become. As you see this happening <laughs> to the person in the mirror, you can even develop a sort of hope that God can do the same thing with others. Those others that you say, what is wrong with them? That God can transform them. I feel like <laughs> probably our enemy's greatest tool is to cause us to dis- despair. Discouragement. Laurel and I were talking about that just this week, and we said probably through ministry, the most powerful tool the enemy has used in our lives is to tell us, give it up. It's not working. Discouragement. Does he use that with you? Like maybe you have this idea of a small group that would be a good thing to do, and he whispers in your ear, that'll never work. What do you, who do you think you are? You're nobody. Or maybe you have this bridge building thing that you're trying to do personally, trying to get a few people together, have some some burgers on the the grill and and just build relationships there with them. And he says, what do you think you're doing? You don't have time for this. Discouragement. Or maybe you're thinking of of giving a gift and and helping someone along the way and, and the enemy says, you can't even help yourself. Discouragement. Does the enemy try to discourage you that way? (laughs) He does me. He tries to do that to me all the time. When he does, take a look in the mirror And remember who that person in that mirror was at one time. And look at who that person is today at this time. And imagine who that person will become by God's grace. And do not despair. In the early service, they sang a song. It is one of my favorites. Because I am so grateful and love the song so much, I very seldom am able to sing it out loud. Because it just... My voice won't sing the words because I love the words so much. They are these words. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me up, wow. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who put an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. When the enemy says, eh, you know what, your future is not bright. You're not changing and no one else is going to change through your ministry. Look to Christ. Look at what he is doing to the man in the mirror. And you'll see what God can do. Do you wonder what's wrong with people? The answer is we're originally created in the image of likeness in God, but we fell through disobedience, incurring physical and spiritual deaths, and we're all born with a sinful nature and separated from the life of God and can only be saved through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, the portion for the unrepentant and unbelieving is existence forever in conscious torment and that of the believer everlasting bliss. That's what's wrong with people. If you want to correct life's problems, you start by looking in the mirror. 